Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. So Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a found helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its flesh with his, with, closed its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is the last is my bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed our second reading is coming from the new testament in first corinthians chapter 6 verses 12 through 20. all things are lawful for me but not all things are helpful all things are lawful for me but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that our bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two shall, will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but immorality. But the sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that what your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were brought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Thanks for reading, Ruth. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's nice to see you. Um, if you haven't met me, I'm Jacko. Um, and yes, I do believe it will be appropriate for all of us to embrace the Richmond Football Club um, and Jesus. And Jesus. Jesus first, then Richmond Tigers. No. Um, I, uh, you know, I'm known for my gloating at times, you know, about these things. But uh, it's good to be in the grand final. Um, you know, condolences to those who aren't there. Um, and uh, I just thought I'd, um, I feel like it's not a confession, but I sort of almost like a permission as well. But, um, and I, I, I said, Adele said to me, um, she asked me, have you got permission from the elders to go to Brisbane on Saturday this coming week? And I said, no, but I've already booked my flight. Um, <laughs> So it's sort of like uh, asking for permission sort of retrospectively. And uh, so as an early sort of Christmas present for me, I'm going to head to Brisbane um, next or the latest week to go and watch the My Beloved Tigers play in the grand final. So I won't be here next week. Um, I'll either be, you'll either be hear me cheering from Brisbane um, or crying, I don't know, one way or the other. But um, just let you know. But next week should be great as well as Dave Helliard comes uh, from Compassion to um, preach, teach God's word, but also to highlight the, the great need um, of all of us to give generously to the work of compassion and, and work around the world of releasing children from, Je- uh, from poverty in Jesus' name. So um, don't miss that. 
I'll take this off now so it's not a distraction um, So you know, everybody. There you go. But would anyone like to wear it? No, you don't have to. Uh, do, if you would, keep uh, chapter 6 of, of 1 Corinthians open, verse 12 to 20. That's where we're going to be sort of spending uh, most of our time. I'm going to take a close look at that this morning for the next 30 minutes or so. Um, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together um, after that, um, after we sing a song and things like that. But um, before we do, um, just get into the Word this morning. Um, I just wanted to, to share with you a few books that you might find helpful to read. Um, sort of off the back of this particular message, um, which is, um, you know, could be a fairly challenging message and confronting message for some, um, for, for all of us actually in some way, shape or form. Um, we're really thinking about like how we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are called to use our bodies. That's what we we're looking at this morning. Um, and um, it's sort of, it's, it's our, as we've been tracking through the book of 1 Corinthians, we're thinking about this subject now. Um, what does it look like to use our bodies well? Um, I can't say everything on this particular subject in 30 minutes, um, so just a few references or books that you might like to chase up. Um, I, I think for many of us, um, male and female, um, we struggle with body image, um, how we perceive our bodies, what we think of our bodies. I know some people who hate their body, um, or some people who love their bodies. Um, the reality is that God loves our bodies um, as they are. And um, I haven't touched on it so much in this message, but there's a wonderful book um, called Metanoia um, by a woman named Anna McGann. You might recognise her name. She's an Australian actor, um, and she's a wonderful actor. She came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, um, and this is really her testimony. And she's a woman who... Um, struggled with body image and how she perceived herself. And meeting the Lord Jesus Christ actually kind of radically changed her self-perception of who she is as a woman um, and what her body is like. And so, um, again, I don't touch on sort of a theology of body image. I reckon there's a whole PhD in that subject, actually, and more books that need to be written on this subject. But um, this is called, the subtitle is A Memoir of a Body Born Again. Um, so if you are... Um, it's, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful book. It's beautiful. She's, a, she's artistic in her nature. She writes really beautifully and sort of poetically as well. Um, so it's her testimony. Metanoia, Anna McGann. I um, can highly recommend that book. Um, the other two, um, we're going to touch on this briefly. Um, these two books are about um, pornography and how we as Christians, as we as human beings, wrestle with this issue of pornography um, just because we're followers of Jesus doesn't mean we're not, um, you know, sort of susceptible to, to this particular thing. And um, two books that I can recommend, I won't go into these in detail right now, but one is Captured by a Better Vision um, by a guy called Tim Chester. Um, Tim Chester wrote a book called How People Change. Um, as part of being a follower of Jesus, we're called to, to become more like Jesus. And Tim Chester kind of outlines in that book how people change, a sort of a, a biblical vision for transformation um, in this particular book, he applies that sort of structure to the issue of facing porn um, and the challenge of porn. So, um, captured by a better vision, um, living porn free. Um, and if you want sort of, a, I guess, an introduction to the issues around um, what the Bible has to say about pornography, the reality of pornography in our world, then Vaughan Roberts' little book um, uh, called The Porn Problem. 
um, is actually really good. This one's like $4.99. Um, I don't make any money out of these, by the way. Um, and that one's, I think, about $20, $24, $25. Um, but that's very introductory, um, kind of gives you a heads up. Um, it's not like it won't impact us, but it's just an introduction. This one, a bit more detail about sort of what it might look like to sort of overcome um, with the help of the Holy Spirit and that sort of stuff. So anyway, just heads up about those. Please feel free to come and look at them. You can borrow them, etc. I'm really happy for that. That's enough of the intros. Um, let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for all the good things you give us. We praise you and thank you this morning for your word. And we pray, Father, that we, with the ears that you have given us, that we would listen to your word this morning. And Father, by your spirit and through your word, we pray that we would see Jesus, we would hear Jesus, that we'd love Jesus. Uh, Father, yeah, please do a work in us this morning. Um, knit us more closely together as a family. Knit us even more closely together with Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, when my wife, um, Adele, who's not here, so I can say all kinds of things, right, um, today, but when my wife and I, um, Adele, were dating um, some time ago now, um, I'd recently become a Christian. Um, Adele had been a follower of Jesus as long as she could remember. Um, we were both at that time attending um, two different Bible-believing churches, but at both churches, the closing words of the passage, that the second passage we read, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the closing words were often used to remind us of how Christians, followers of Jesus, ought to live. The words are on the screen. Here they come. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your bodies. And so we were taught, right, don't do things that harm your body. Don't smoke. Um, don't get drunk. Don't take illicit drugs. Don't overeat. Don't be a lazy sloth. Now, your body belongs to Christ. It belongs to the Holy Spirit. So don't abuse your body in harmful ways. And above all, right, we were taught, don't use your body to have sex with your boyfriend or your girlfriend until your body, until you give your body in whole to one person alone in the bond of marriage. It was good teaching. It was wholesome teaching. It was biblical teaching for our own good. And by God's grace, that teaching kind of held Adele and I kind of steady through friendship, through dating, through engagement, and then on into marriage. It's what the Bible taught us almost 20 years ago, and it's what the Bible still teaches us today if we're prepared to listen. Over the past two Sundays, I wasn't here last Sunday, I was on Kangaroo Island, but over the last couple of Sundays, as we've been opening up this part of God's Word, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 through to sort of 6, Paul's been dealing with the issue of sexual immorality, sexual immorality that was going on in the church in Corinth in the year AD 55, meaning predominantly male heterosexual behaviour in which men were having sex with women outside of marriage or beyond their marriage or even before marriage. And here at the end of chapter 6, Paul reaches the climax of his teaching on this matter and now focuses on how Christians ought to think about their bodies. How we're to think about our bodies rightly 
how we think about our bodies at times wrongly, how we think about our bodies, uh, think about our bodies negatively and also positively. So we're going to look at both of those this morning. That's how we're going to break it down. We're going to first look at Paul and how he, you know, body talk negative, then we're going to shift a bit later to body talk positive. So firstly, body talk negative. What was going on in Corinth? We know that Corinth, the city of Corinth, back in the first century, was a a successful city. It was a sex-obsessed city, and it was a, um, a spiritual city. But what was going on in Corinth in the first century that kind of meant that sexual immorality was going on in the place? Well, I've got three reasons, three probable reasons why sexual immorality was going on in Corinth. Here's the first one. They'd gotten hold of a distorted view of Christian freedom. That's the first one. If you have a look at verse 12, chapter 6, verse 12, right? Paul kind of starts chapter verse 12 with sort of a um, kind of a quote or a comment that was probably coming from the church at Corinth itself. That's why it's in inverted commas. Um, like a, a saying that had been communicated to him through a letter, a previous letter that Paul had received. So it says, verse 12, I ha-, they say, I have the right to do anything, Paul says. But not everything, Paul says, is beneficial. I have the right, they say, to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. The question is, right, where'd they get that idea from? Where'd they get the idea, I have the right to do anything? Where'd they come from? Well, it's probably Paul. The apostle. Because you see, Paul preached a lot about the idea of Christian freedom, right? Through faith in Jesus Christ, we are free. Free from the tyranny of sin and death. Free from the the slavery to the old law. Free from slavery to the flesh. And probably Paul had taught these Corinthians what he'd written earlier to the church at Galatia. Chapter 5, verse 1 Paul wrote, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, he says, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. But you see, the believers at Corinth had distorted that to mean, well, because we're free in Jesus, we can do anything with anyone, anytime. We can just do anything at all. But they forgot probably what Paul had also communicated to them, which he communicates a little bit later in Galatians, chapter 5, verse 13, he says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, absolutely, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. So yes, we are given freedom in Christ, but that's not license to do whatever we please. Some things are not beneficial, right, to say the least. And some things we might start out choosing freely But over time, even very quickly, they can become habits that are dangerous and addictive and unhelpful. The first thing is they had this distorted view of Christian freedom. Second reason, probable reason, why sexual immorality was an issue in Corinth among the church members there, they'd grown to have a distorted view of the body, the human body. Again, look at verse 13. Paul probably quotes again a slogan, a proverb, a saying from the church at Corinth. Verse 13, food's for the stomach and the stomach is for food. God will destroy them both. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it probably means this, right? They probably thought, look, sex, it's just like it's a bodily appetite, yeah? 
like I have an appetite for food. The body needs food. I get hungry. I feed the body. My body needs sex. I just give it sex. Food's perishable. The body's perishable. We're all going to die. Doesn't matter what you do with your body, right? That's the, that's the thought. So you can, have, you can have sex, right, they're thinking, just as casually as you drive over to you know, Collinswood and pick up a, Macca's and fr- a Big Mac and fries. No big deal. It's not a moral issue because sex is simply a natural bodily function, right? It's physical appetite. Just do it. Eat when you're hungry. Have sex when you're horny. It's pretty much what the Corinthians were talking about. It's all the same. Except it's not. Because our bodies, right, are far, far, far more than just sort of food bags and pleasure centers. Sexual intimacy between your body and the body of another human being made in the image of God is far, far more significant than simply filling your stomach with a big jack and chips. So we've got a distorted view of Christian freedom, distorted view of the body. Thirdly, Third reason why sexual immorality was happening in Corinth, they'd embraced, many church members had embraced a distorted view of marriage. We come to this actually in chapter 7 of the book of 1 Corinthians, in which Paul again is probably quoting what they've been saying around the church in Corinth. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Literally, don't touch a woman. That's what's been going on. But notice the quotation marks there, right? It's almost certainly that some of them are saying, that's what some of them were saying, but it's not what Paul taught. See, there were some super spiro, super spiritual Christians in Corinth who were teaching that all sex was sinful and that Christians shouldn't get married at all. And if you were married and the couple became Christians, then they should abstain from having sex. But you see, what that meant was, right, for some Christian men, if they heard that kind of teaching, thinking they couldn't have sex with their wives or, you know, their Christian wives wouldn't, wouldn't let them touch them, they felt they needed to go and get sex somewhere else, with prostitutes, sometimes at the temple, or, or with slave women, as was quite common back in the Greco-Roman world of the first century, possibly even with the agreement and the acceptance of their wives. Actually, Paul, the apostle, um, warned Timothy of this kind of distorted, super-spiritual teaching in a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. Uh, It says, you can see it on the screen, such teachings, Paul says, come through hypocritical liars. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving. For everything God created is good, Nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving. And Paul would have, without doubt, I think, included marriage and sex within marriage among those good things which were created by God to be received with thanksgiving. In those opening five verses of chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, Paul paints a beautiful picture of the symphony of marriage. Symphony is actually a word that kind of Paul makes up himself in the Greek. It's a concept in which a, a husband and a wife um, have both, have both sorry, a husband and a wife both have authority over one another's bodies. It's actually the only place where Paul uses the word authority in relation to marriage, and it's equal and reciprocal. 
And he says that a husband and a wife should normally give themselves wholly to one another in sexual love and intimacy. That's what God created marriage for. But if people were just, but you can see, right, if people were distorting and, and, and despising marriage itself, it's no wonder, right, there was sexual immorality going on in Corinth. So in summary, right, the Corinthians had a distorted view of Christian freedom, distorted view of the body, and a distorted view of marriage. Can you see how subtle and powerful the temptation to sexual immorality was in Corinth? And same reasons that are still around today for us in our own culture, even among Christians here. You know, people might say, right, in response to what I've just sort of said, you know, well, you, you know, Jacko, you and your churches, you know, you, you've got all these old-fashioned rules about sex. They're so repressive and legalistic. They insult and they infringe upon my personal freedom. Or you might say, it's my body and I decide what I do with my body. I, and, and what I do with my body has actually got nothing to do with my spiritual life. Well, someone else might say, marriage, 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 it's so demanding and restrictive. I need to keep my options open. Other people might say, look, we just really, really love each other. Surely that makes it okay. But it's not okay. Not according to Paul, not according to God's word. We need to move on from why sexual immorality was sort of happening in the city of Corinth and in the church at Corinth. And we want to move now to kind of thinking about why sexual immorality just shouldn't happen at all among God's people, among Christians. I've got three reasons why sexual immorality, there's probably more, but three reasons from this text, I think, why sexual immorality should not happen among the redeemed people of God. And, here's, and, and I think the reasons I'm going to share with you now are just as valid today as they were back in Corinth in AD 55. Just as valid as they are today in our culture, which is pretty loose, pretty moral, 21st century Adelaide. Here's the first reason. First reason why Christian, like sexual morality for the Christian is, is just incongruous with the redeemed life is this, because it, sexual immorality violates your union with Christ. This, I think, is the most important one, given the space that Paul gives it in this little section of Scripture. Um, take a look at the beginning and the end of verses 15 to 17 on the screen. Let me read it out. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, quoting Genesis chapter 2, that the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. See that Paul uses a really powerful metaphor here to show how we are united to Jesus. He says our bodies are parts of Jesus' body. And we are united with him in one spirit, just like a husband and a wife are, are bonded together as one flesh. It's a very strong word that Paul uses. We are bonded, we are welded, we are basically super glued to Christ. Our whole person, right? Our 
body, our soul, our spirit, welded, superglued, bonded to Jesus. So if you take your body and you give your body to someone that you're not married to, you are taking Christ with you into that space. Think what Christ is having to endure as part of his body through your body, acting in sinful disobedience to his word. The grief, the pain, the wrench, the violating of the relationship that Christ died to achieve to bring you into union with himself. Think about that. Secondly, the second reason, sexual immorality violates your own body. This is from verse 18. The first part of verse 18 actually might be, again, like another quote or slogan or proverb that the Corinthian church were kind of throwing around. We see verse 18, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Now, I know you see some might have been saying at Corinth, you know, look, sex, it's just a bodily thing. It's a physical thing. Sin, that's a spiritual thing. That's a different category. So what you do with your body doesn't really count. It doesn't really count as sin, as long as you get your soul saved, right? It's a real Greek idea, right, that the body is just this kind of like awkward, smelly thing, right, that you don't really have to worry about. All you've got to do is get your soul right with whoever you want to get it right with, and well, the body is just this kind of, well, yeah, feedback, I don't know. It's a very Greek idea, but it's not a biblical idea. Paul says, no, your body is really you. And if you use it in a wrong or sinful way, then you're doing harm to your own self. Sexual immorality is actually a form of self-harm, which is so countercultural to say, right? In a culture, right, where the assumption is today, if you are not having sex and that's repressive, and actually you're doing yourself harm. And yet there's so much research that that highlights the long-term damaging personal, physical, and psychological effects of casual sex. It's everywhere. That is sex outside of a loving, committed, bonded, beautiful marriage. Sexual immorality not only violates your union with Christ, It only violates your own body. Thirdly, it violates the Holy Spirit within you if you're a follower of Jesus. Paul adds another really powerful image, right? Verse 19. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? When you turn to Christ in repentance and faith, that is, when you become a Christian, The Holy Spirit takes up residence in you, in us, making our bodies his temple, his sacred space, his holy place, the place that should belong to him to be used in his service and for his glory. So think about that when you use your body for anything that is not as holy as he is. The Bible's teaching is really clear. If you get involved in a sexual relationship, that is, having sex in a way that is not as God intended it within marriage, then you're hurting the Lord Jesus Christ, 
You're hurting yourself and the other person and you're hurting the Holy Spirit. This is serious. This is God's word. You're sitting there saying, well, okay, Jacko, you've been talking a lot about sex, you know, intercourse, men, women, you know, appetites. But what about pornography? Surely there's no harm in that. It's just me. I'm not visiting a prostitute. I'm not sleeping around. And it isn't real. It's sort of digital. It's out there. I think Paul would say, as he does in verse 9, don't be deceived. God sees and knows what goes on in our imaginations just as much as he cares about our outward acts. And our imaginations, right, have a powerful way of controlling our lives in ways that can be addictive and enslaving and destructive. And didn't Jesus explicitly say, right, lust in the eyes is already sin of adultery in the heart, which is the standard by which every one of us, right, men, women, myself included, we're all sinners and in need of constant Forgiveness and cleansing. What do you mean it isn't real? You know, it may just be images on a screen, right? But those, those women, those men are real. The men, the, 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 the people who, are, who produce the stuff are making billions. I read the other day that 27% of internet traffic sort of usage in the UK is directed toward porn sites, 27% of all internet usage. You know, and classically, right, when a preacher like me stands up and starts talking about porn, it's like the women can go to sleep and the men sort of start feeling really awkward. But it's, it's not. that The statistics now show that one-third of internet pornography use is from women. Um, women tend to gravitate towards more of the literary, kind of erotic literature, men being more visual, more the visual side of things. So I'm not just speaking to men. You know, the women, the men on the screen, they're real. The, the, the billions of dollars that are made through the porn industry is going to real people. Perhaps you agree that black lives matters, that black bodies matter, Perhaps you're enraged like me about human slavery and sex trafficking. Well, think about the fact that plenty of porn is racist, it is abusive, and it is enslaving. The porn industry is one of the biggest exploiters of sex-trafficked women on the planet. Is that not real enough for any Christian conscience to say no? Not for my eyes, not for eyes not for a heart that has been redeemed and now that belongs to Christ. I'm not saying that the struggle with pornography is just as easy to switch off like that. It's not. And that's why there have been people who've put a lot of thought and time and I'm even thinking about maybe that we should have a little time together outside of this Sunday gathering just thinking about porn together. But it's real 
And it's a real problem among Christians. Well, this has been a hard word to bring, hard word to preach, and particularly for myself as a sinner in need of grace. But sisters and brothers, this is the word of God. And the question is, right, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to listen to? The foolish wisdom and the culture of the world around us that leaves its trail of broken lives and fractured relationships and, and damaged bodies? Or the wisdom of the Lord, your maker? His clear teaching here in Scripture. That's the choice we have to make when God speaks. Before we move on to Body Talk Positive, I think it would be a, a good thing to do just to, to pray right now. Um, before we turn to Paul's positive word in our bodies. So I just want to give you a moment, just in the quiet of your own heart, to so just pray to God. In light of what his word has just spoken to us, just pray. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Then I'm going to pray short briefly, then we'll move on to part two. So just take a moment. I'll give you 30 seconds just to pray in your own. Heavenly Father, we, we praise you that your word reminds us that there is no condemnation uh, for those who are in Christ Jesus. And that, Father, we praise you again this morning that um, in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, through faith in his finished work on the cross, all our sins, past, present and future, are dealt with and, and sorted out. But we realise that, Lord, as we live in these bodies of flesh, we still struggle, we still sin, and we, we're all broken sexually. We're all sexual sinners of some kind. And so we pray, uh, Father, we thanks for your good word that reminds us that you love us, but also the reality of sin around us. And so we pray, Father, that you'd help us to throw ourselves afresh into your hands and your grace and your mercy this morning. And Father, Help us to be captured afresh by the beauty and the wonder of Jesus. That he is better than anything, more satisfying than the most amazing pleasure we can experience. And so, Lord, help us in this area to be men and women who not only know Jesus, but live for his renown by living lives that bring him glory with our bodies. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's turn briefly, perhaps to a more positive word, to think about body talk positive. Um, Paul's wonderful view of the beauty and the wonder of our human bodies. Um, I'm really struck by what Paul says about the body here, actually. Um, he uses uh, the word body eight times in nine verses. You're not supposed to read that, right? Um, but uh, you can see I've highlighted it in yellow. Um, body, or the variation of the word soma, kind of comes up eight times in nine verses uh, through that little section. 
Um, and Paul uses the, the, the language of body in a really enriching, enriching and encouraging way. Of course, Paul's main point, you can kind of maybe see it there in large font and underlined, and his main point is flee sexual immorality as God's people. Let's flee sexual immorality. Um, but he also kind of couples it with some really astonishing truths about what our bodies are for and what he's done with our, God has done with our bodies in light of the resurrection of Jesus. Truths that are still countercultural um, in his day and are still countercultural even today. So briefly, I've got four statements uh, to make that should help us avoid two extremes, actually, when we come to thinking about the body. On the one hand, right, there's the one extreme, which is like our culture's idolatry with the body. It's all around us, right? Um, you can't help but walk into a supermarket or walk into a newsagent, if they still exist, I don't know, and see, you know, the chiselled bodies, right, that we're all supposed to have, like mine, yeah? Like, you know, like, you know, these, these, like these beautiful bodies, right? There's, we've got this idolatry with the body, and even the body positivity movement kind of could sit into that kind of particular bracket. That's on the one hand. But on the other hand, right, we've got to avoid the false Christian denial, right, or even contempt for the body, that it's kind of really of no value at all. It doesn't matter what I do with my body. That is perhaps being reinforced more this year than ever, right, in our disembodied, virtual, kind of online world, that our bodies don't really matter. Anyway, here's the first thing that Paul says positively about our bodies. He says this, our bodies are for the Lord and the Lord is for the body. This is from verses 13 to 14. You see, Paul quotes their saying, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach meant for food and both are destined to pass away anyway. But then he trumps it with this wonderful, awesome statement. No, he says, the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body and guess what? Both are destined for resurrection. That's where we're heading. They're not destined to perish if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your body is destined for resurrection. God has already raised Jesus from the grave to resurrection life. And as Paul says elsewhere in the New Testament, God will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. I mean, I, I can't wait to see the body of Jesus. It's going to be extraordinary. And his body is going to be extraordinary. My body is going to be extraordinary. If you're on Slack, right, I've got a busted back at the moment. It's not, it's not good. I woke up this morning actually thinking, oh my gosh, the Lord's healed me. You know, like I woke up and I sprung out of bed. I was like a 17-year-old. It was amazing, you know, after hobbling around the streets. You know, my gosh, God's, and then I walked around the kitchen, putting on the kettle, making coffee, going, wow, praise the Lord. I started walking to church. No, nah, it's gone again. Like, it's not, it's not good. I'll be dead tonight. But um, one day... Paul says, one day God will transform our lowly bodies into being like his, Jesus' glorious body. I love this. This is what one ancient commentator said back in like the year 300. If our body is a member of Christ and Christ is risen from the dead, our body will surely follow his lead. Amen? Are you excited about that or is it just me? Can I hear an amen? Amen. I mean, that's going to be wonderful. Jesus has gone before us. We're just going to kind of hey, catch up with him. It's going to be awesome. So my body is for the Lord and he is for me. For me in my body. 
in all my bodily life on this earth and then forever in my resurrection body in the new creation. That's the first thing. I think that's sensational. Secondly, our bodies are members of Christ's body, verse 15. Again, this is a very bold metaphor because by members, Paul means we're like the limbs and the organs of Jesus, as if we are Christ's body parts. That's what he's saying. Our bodily lives on earth are making real the presence of Jesus in this place, in Adelaide, in this world. Does that blow your mind? So wherever we go, whatever we do in our bodies, we are in some ways kind of doing it all with Christ and for Christ. We are like an ex- like it's like we are extension of his body. Like really. That should make us think right very carefully about our physical lives, what we say, what we do, where we go, where we don't go. Because our bodily life in some mysterious way is participating with Christ himself. My body, my body, our bodies, if you're a Christian, are part of Christ on earth. That's an amazing thought. Like I could just think about that for the rest of my days on the planet, right? I think that is extraordinary. Thirdly, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit in verse 19. Paul has already said earlier in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, that the whole Christian church is a temple of for the Holy Spirit. But now he says it of the individual believer. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now I've heard this, you probably heard this verse used in really inappropriate ways, right? It's because we're temples of the Holy Spirit, we've just got to look after our bodies, you know, they've got to be schmick, beautiful, eight-pack, you know, don't put anything impure into the body, all that sort of stuff. It's not what Paul's talking about. What Paul's got in mind is, right, if you were in Corinth in the year AD 55 and you walked into one of the big temples of one of the gods or the goddesses that people in the culture worship, right, if you walked in, the temple would be dominated by the statue of that god or that goddess whose temple it was, right? That image had this awesome presence that gave the whole feel and power and kind of beauty to the place, and in the same way, Paul says, our bodily lives are to be dominated, characterised and shaped and sound like the indwelling Holy Spirit. It's not just, as Paul said earlier, that we have the mind of Christ, but that our whole bodies are inhabited, powered, innovated by God the Holy Spirit. So we should be oozing that as God's people. The fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, patience, joy, faithfulness, self-control, etc. Another amazing thought. And now finally, Paul says, verse 19 to 20, our bodies don't really belong to us. They actually belong to the Lord. You see, back in verse 18, right, Paul says that you can sin against your own body, but then he subverts that by saying, well, actually... Your body is not your body. Your body was bought with a price. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the master who paid the price for our bodies with the shed blood of Jesus on the cross 2,000 years ago. So that even our bodies belong to him. You see, when a slave was bought in the marketplace, 
Back in Corinth, there was a transfer of ownership, right, from, from one person to another as long as the price, the price was paid. The slave no longer belonged to the old master. He now belonged to the new master who paid the price for him. Same with us. If you're here today and you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus, that blood which has washed you clean of sin, given you a new heart, made you a new creation, destined you now for life forever with God in the new creation. That's the price. It was a big price. A price that we could never pay ourselves. And so it's no wonder that Paul comes to an extraordinary climax at the end of this section, verse 20. Therefore, honour, glorify God with your bodies. Glorify God in your bodies, brothers and sisters in Christ. And where else should we do it? And the wonderful thing is this, right? This is for everybody. For everybody. Not just for fit and strong bodies. Not just for tall, handsome bodies. Not just for slim, beautiful bodies. Whoever sets these norms anyway. Because bodies come in all shapes and sizes, don't they? God knows all about frail, wasted, herniated L2, L3 disc bodies. He knows about ageing bodies, mine as well. He knows about 40 fat and flatulent bodies, which I won't tell you if that's mine as well. But anyway, you know, bodies where things fall, bodies where things sag and don't look like they did 20 years ago, where the collagen doesn't quite have the same tension, I don't know, whatever that stuff is. God knows all about that. God knows all about cripplingly injured bodies. God knows all about disabled bodies. He knows all about our ailments and pain. But in whatever condition our bodies are in, we can still bring God glory with them. Glory to the one who gave us those bodies, glory to the one who created us in his image bodies, glory to the one who redeemed our bodies. So whatever body God has given you, glorify, honour him with it today and every day until you see him and enjoy him forever, yeah? So I ask God to help us to do that. Let's pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we pray with thanks and we sort of stand in, in wonder and awe at what your word tells us about our bodies. Father, we thank you that um, our bodies really do matter. Father, because not just because you've made it, them, not, because, not just simply because you love them, but because as followers of Jesus, you've destined for our bodies great things. We remember this morning that our Saviour, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, didn't take up a spiritual body but took up a physical body following his resurrection. And that we, as followers of Jesus, will follow in that lead, that our bodies 
will make it through into the new creation in some way, shape or form. And so we pray that you'd help us to honour you with our bodies. Father, yeah, I pray for us this morning that we would be men and women who don't get caught up or carried away with our culture's idolisation of the, the body. But also, Lord, protect us from not looking after our bodies as well. But Father, help us with your help and the help of the Holy Spirit to use our bodies in a way that glorifies you. And thank you that as we live and move and talk and act in this world as followers of Jesus, we are part of Jesus' body. And so help us to use our bodies for Jesus' purpose. So help us to live for Jesus. Help us to love like Jesus. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church slash North Adelaide.